Hi there, House Culture listener. If you enjoy this episode or have enjoyed listening to other episodes in our series, please support and donate to us through the Acast Supporter feature. All donations will help us create the content that you love listening to. You can decide how much you give and there is no regular commitment. So it could be a one-off and every now and then or once every time you listen. It's really up to you. Click on the supporter link in the episode description and with Google or Apple Pay, it will take you less than 30 seconds to make your contribution. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, what's up? This is Joski here from uh, New York City. You're listening to the House Culture Podcast. House Culture Hello everyone and welcome to the final episode of this season of the House Culture Podcast, hosted as ever by me, the Managing Editor at House Culture, Matt Rouse. Now I know you heard the words final episode there, but don't be alarmed. This is the last episode of our fourth season and we will be back in 2024 with season five. And even though we're taking a short break, please keep an eye on those feeds. There might be a few special episodes before we get back to releasing regularly. I also want to thank all of you listeners, old and new, who have supported us through 60 episodes of the show. For those newbies, we are House Culture, a collective of house music fans who have come together through their mutual love of the beat to celebrate the spirit of house music. You can find our home on Instagram at housecultureNet, so please join us there if you haven't already. These 60 episodes have been a wild ride so far. So thanks to everyone who has listened and supported us over the past four and a half years. Has it really been that long? If you haven't listened to all of the episodes yet, our off-season is the perfect time for you to dig through the archives and listen to club culture conversations with legends such as David Morales, Roger Sanchez, Harry Romero, Todd Terry and Chris Lake. We handpick all of our guests to make sure they have fascinating tales to tell. So regardless of their name or profile, get stuck in. So I'm sure you will enjoy listening to their journey through the scene. Speaking of journeys, and things beginning with Jay, our 60th episode is a sit-down with New York-based DJ producer and Maya Recordings label owner Joski, a man that has been part of the scene for over 30 years. We'll hear how an extremely young Joski first broke into the scene. I'm 17 and now I'm kind of just messing around. I'm connecting, going out to parties. Basically, one thing led to another. I met someone that I ended up getting my first booking. And fast forward a year, two years, I'm playing the main floor at Limelight. His role as a tastemaker behind the decks. I've never felt like I was like some kind of fucking rock star. I never felt like that. 
I just play records and my job is to make you guys lose it, you know? Because I've always been like, my job is to sound good. Howie has become a real student of the scene. Anything I ever got into, I always wanted to learn everything about it. You know, it's important. For me, it was when I started DJing, I wanted to know everything about Paradise Garage, about Chicago, about Ron Hardy, all these guys that are like, wow, like now I like, I try to find their mixes, you know? Because it's just, you know, that's school 101. That's like history. Know the history of whatever it is you're doing. And what house culture means to him. For me, it's just happiness. It's who I am. It's what my life has been. You know what I mean? I can honestly say that my life has been this my whole life, you know what I mean? And I feel so grateful, so much gratitude that it's, it's everything to me, you know what I mean? I hope you enjoy this one. This is Joski. House Culture. Hi, Joski. It's a pleasure to welcome you to the House Culture podcast today. Thanks for finding the time to sit down with us. Thank you for having me. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. You've been part of the house music scene for over 30 years, playing all over the world, producing anthems of your own across numerous imprints. And you're also the man behind legendary label Mayor Recordings. We really want to dig into all of that. But first, we always like to ask, being born in Brooklyn and raised in Queens, what was your household and neighbourhood like? And how did you first discover music there? Yeah, well, in Brooklyn at that time, this was in the, you know, pretty much in the, in the 70s, mm-hmm. mid, mid to late 70s. It was a different, I mean, it was, it was not the New York it is now. You know <laughs> what I mean? It was grimy. It was kind of... Uh, it was dangerous, you know what I mean? It was rough neighborhoods, you know? Mm-hmm. It's funny to see all these neighborhoods now are just completely different, you know what I mean? Like I live in, the, this neighborhood where I live in, in Bushwick, Brooklyn, mm-hmm. was rough, <laughs> you know what I mean? This was like a war zone. Now it's just like so expensive to live, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, yeah, I, yeah, I was born in Brooklyn mm-hmm. and uh, and then we moved to Queens, Jackson Heights, which is another, which is more a predominantly Latin neighborhood in Queens. Mm-hmm. And I wanna say, in the early 80s and you know there were rough neighborhoods let's be realistic you know what i mean there were that one like in queens was predominantly latino neighborhood and uh yeah i mean yeah they were were rough but i mean you know i feel like uh i was just telling my my friend this uh, oppression breeds creativity (laughs) (laughs) absolutely yeah i mean what you find is in these environments you know people the artists move in right because it's a bit rough it's a bit cheap it's you know there's like a lot going on yeah like you know you know you know i mean i've gotten mugged so many times you know what i mean growing up as a kid you know it's true yeah 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 bicycle robbed so many times you know it's just but it's you know i appreciate the neighborhoods now how they've completely changed you know Mm -hmm. which is great you know, that's why I still live here. I'm still back in Brooklyn. You know, I've been living here since again. You know, it's great. Yeah, I mean, that's great that you've kind of continued that. Um, I mean, we've spoken to people like Danny Tanaglia and Todd Terry on the show as well. And, you know, they have always like lent towards how much of like a, a melting pot like New York was at that time in terms of culture and music and, you know, all the different influences from like Latino and, you know, all of that environment together in one place kind of really kind of gave you a, a whole worldview. Like my, that neighborhood, I mean, pretty much like a lot of neighborhoods, even where I'm at in Brooklyn or in Queens, they're, you know, they're a melting pot. They're just mixed. Like you, you go, you walk two blocks and it's all like Indian. Mm-hmm. You walk a few more blocks, it's all like Puerto Rican. It's just like, so, you know, you absorb all that just walking down the streets through these neighborhoods. You know what I mean? It's just music and the food and all that. You know what I mean? That's kind of what I've loved about New York, which is, I guess why I'm still here because it's so fucking expensive. 
<laughs> well, yeah, I mean, especially like you said, you're living in this part of the world now that was was cheap back in the day, probably. And now it's like those days are over. <laughs> yeah, this place is ridiculous, man. It's so expensive. Yeah. Just like the cost of living, everything mm -hmm. like, I, you know, I travel a lot, so I see it. And like and I travel to all these different states here in this country mm -hmm. and just like small things like, OK, you know, just parking your car at the airport. You know, some cities here in this country, uh, you know, you could leave your car all day for like 20 bucks. Over here, it's 80. Man, that is something. That is something. That's crazy. And, you know, so obviously you've seen a lot of change over that over that time. And I'm sure we'll get into that as, we, as we're talking through kind of your career and stuff like that. But, you know, when so when you were young and like discovering music and, you know, the, living through that melting pot and all those cultures in, in this in the city, you know, what kind of influenced you in terms of taste? Was it your parents? Were you living in a musical household? Was the radio always on? What, what was going For on me, there? what my like a big part of my inspir like in that it, you know what i think about when i was younger was my parents were really into music there was music was constantly playing at the house mm -hmm. and my mom cleaning would have the radio so loud like and it's just i that's what i remember like as a kid growing up my mom cleaning the house blaring mm -hmm. like some of these records that i've sampled now because of that you know <laughs> what i mean like that, I did that Hector Laveau track that I did. You know, my mom used to always listen to that the original song, and like it was like you know she loved that record. Oh, man. So it was, you know, I remember like I always find like when I go into the studio, I, I remember a lot of those times mm. of certain songs that just resonated. You know what I mean? That I sampled now, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and just rediscovering them, I suppose, in a way. Or have they always been part of your life? Have you always listened? Yeah, to they them? always been. I mean, I've I, I, you know I've grown up with awesome music. I mean, you know. I, 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 my family's Colombian and we grew up basically Colombian, even here in this country. You know what I mean? We didn't, we barely spoke English in the house mm -hmm. and it was always salsa music and cumbia music playing. So it's just like, I feel like that's a big inspiration. I mean, and, and the fact that I, you know, I've, I've gotten to work in Colombia a lot throughout the years has been pretty cool too. Um, you know, it's got like a special place for me because it's, you know, like, for example, I do these things where I fly to Colombia every year and I work with local musicians mm -hmm. in the studio there and just create because there's so much undiscovered talent out there that, you know, these people just amazing, you know? Yeah. So yeah. It's, all that comes from the root. It stems from that, you know? Yeah. And I mean, you can hear that 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 the tinge of that influence throughout your entire career as well. It's something that you've always inputted into all your records and your sound, I found. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, in terms of you obviously you're huge in the music scene what was this always the end game what you know did you did you want to work in um music and dance music and production no, and know, all this type of stuff what was the original like, out my story is this basically mm. i i'll tell you the, the from the from the jump the beginning Go. i was uh when i was about 13 years old mm. my uh my sister i have two sisters an older and a younger my older sister she met this guy that was like obsessed with her. Right? He's this guy was like, you know, he was he was a like a, a disco DJ, but I mean he, you know, he was like it was this hobby. You know, he he had a job and that was always his dream to be this DJ. So he had like like you know, techniques twelve hundred, an amazing disco collection. Mm -hmm. And he was obsessed with my sister. And he basically he figured he's smart. He figured I'm gonna befriend her little brother. <laughs> so like so, she, you know, because she wouldn't pay him. You know, she like she liked it, but she didn't, it wasn't like that. They were friends. Yeah. But he was obsessed with her. So he, he befriended me. And where he told like he, he you know we met one time that they were hanging out, and he was like, hey man, you know I have turntables and like records. You should come hang out and check it out. Mm -hmm. And I was like, all right. I was this little kid, 13 years old. I was like, all right. 
and I went over to his house and I was just blown away. I, that was that's that was when I got bit by the DJ bug. Yeah. That was, yeah, I was 13 years old and I was just like, whoa, what is this? So it's so funny because like, you know, now when I think about it in retrospect, like his plan backfired because now I'm banging on his door every day. Like, <laughs> hey man, I know you're in there. It was, was a true story. And I could hear him in there and he's just probably like, damn, it must be like a Jehovah Witness or something. They're banging on the door, just hiding. And uh that start started me on this whole path. You mm. know what I mean? So now it was just something I wanted to do constantly. Yeah. So I would have the opportunity and mess around on his turntables. And that jump started this. Now fast forward a few years, I'm 17 and now I'm kind of just messing around. I'm connecting, going out to parties. Mm -hmm. And uh, even though I wasn't allowed to go out, obviously I was a fake ID. I was going to more gay parties too. Mm -hmm. Cause I feel like I wouldn't really get carded so much of you kind of like this young boy walking in. You know, they would just be like, come in. kind of how I got started in like going out to clubs and all that. Yeah. And um, basically one thing met led to another. I met someone that I ended up getting my first booking and mm -hmm. fast forward a year, two years, I'm playing the main floor at Limelight. Wow. Wow. So basically I've been doing this my whole life. Mm -hmm. I've like, I've had little odd jobs here and there, but this has always kind of been my life mm -hmm. from 17 till now. Wow, that's incredible. So, yeah, yeah. So it's been like, you know, I feel so blessed that I was, you know, I was like playing main room at Limelight 18 years old. I wasn't even allowed to really be in there. You know what I mean? And it was just like in the Roxy, I was really young. I was 19, 20 when I was doing the main room there. I'm talking about 3,000 people every Friday. Yeah, that is insane. That is insane. So, I mean, for it's like how quickly that accelerated and obviously you're still still really really young you know were you just super confident in your own ability or w was there any kind of it was it this is it I'm, I'm the type of person where like you know if i want to do something i do it to the extreme mm -hmm. so it was just something like i remember telling my mom i was like you know i was like mom i don't want to go to college it's just like you know this is it i found who i am and it was just like, oh, but you can't, you know, you need to have something to fall. You don't know if that's going to work out. I'm like, no, it's going to work out. I'm going to, I'm going to make it work out. It is, this, I'm not taking, you know, I'm going to make it happen basically. Yeah. yeah. And it's just, I've always kind of had that, that kind of personality where it's just like, you know, if I want something, I'm going to just make it do everything in, you know, my, in my power to make it happen. Yeah. So it was the thing where, yeah, I was like, this is it. You know, this is like what I do and this is who I am. And, and, you know, I'm so glad that it worked. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, how amazing that you found something that you loved and you're passionate about and you can make a success of from being so young as well. So, you know, and, being yeah, able to and push it, that forward. it's tough, though. It's tough for like, you know, I have kids now and my daughter, you know, I always kind of like I know you can't, you know, compare to anybody, but it's just like I'm always like when she's like, oh, I don't know what I want to do. I'm like, dude, I was like, I knew what I was doing at 17. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, ah. Uh, yeah, what can you do? I've got two young kids as well, so yeah, I feel I feel I feel the vibe in that. Um, I mean, so thinking about like you know the limelight and the Roxy, and when you're playing in there, like you know these are venues that we've heard so much about on this podcast. People talk about what what were those clubs like, and what was the crowd like, and what type of music were you playing when you were playing there? We got me started with that. It was just like <laughs> different times, though. You know, uh -huh. no cell phones. Mm -hmm. You know, we it wasn't like okay. I, this is the one thing you know. I I I, I embrace everything that's happening. I mean, I'm 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 glad I'm still, you know, I'm still able to do this, and I'm still around to this to you know this generation of kids and everything. It's great. Mm -hmm. 
But I mean, there were just different times, you know what I mean? You had less distractions, you know, it yeah. wasn't like, you know, people weren't on the dance floor just staring at the DJ. It wasn't, you know, we're not, I've never felt like I was like some kind of fucking rock star. I, I never yeah. felt like that. I just play records and my job is to make you guys lose it, you know? Mm -hmm. My job is not to perform and, you know, make a spectacle on stage. My, my job is, I've always been like, my job is to sound good. You know what I mean? So it's just like, you know, when all that changed, I mean, I embrace it because I mean, hey, we're still here. I love what I do. I love doing this. But yeah, there was just different times. I felt like people kind of more connected to the music. There wasn't so many distractions. It wasn't kind of like, you know, it was just like people went there to just dance. Yeah. Yeah. It's a different now, you know, it's yeah. just, you know, kind of, they want to document everything. They want to remember it. I mean, I, you know, not that I'm hating on that because I'm not, I just, you know, it's just different times. Yeah. The crowds, were, the crowds were big too back then. I remember like, like, the Roxy, man, you got 3,000, 4,000 people throughout the night on a, on a, every Friday. Yeah. Yeah. And so in terms of the Roxy, I mean, it was the, you were a resident at the Together Night. Um, yeah, the Together Party. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tom Mello, it's the, the man, I had to mention his name. He's such a good promoter. You know, he kind of was like pivotal in, you know, in my, you know, growth during that time. And then like mm -hmm. mid 90s, because he was like the best promoter. And yeah. he basically made me his DJ, his resident. So it was just like, I got to play with everybody there. You know, I'm like, I just kind of like, just kind of coming up and I'm like playing with Louis, with Danny Teneglia, you know, Louis Vega. I mean, yeah, yeah. I've played with everybody there. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Carl Craig, yeah. all the top dogs I was playing there. And he, and he had this thing where he kind of, I, I have so much like gratitude towards him because he, he said, look, I'm going to make you, you're my DJ and I'm going to, and he never, he always put me, our names, same size. It was never like I'm the opener. He always he did that, and he just he jump started my career. Big, big shout out to Tom Mello. Yeah, that is cool. That is so cool. And you know, in terms of like residents and having a residency, and you are playing to that crowd that could be coming the same crowd every week, and you know you've got that real kind of deeper connection with that crowd than what a headliner might have, or you know right, somebody's amazing. being booked. Yeah. Yeah, how did you play off that? Were you like playing? I was the, well, I was the closer, so I yeah. was like everybody knew that I closed the night. So you know that we I I get goosebumps talking about it because there was some memorable times where I'm just like there was specific records that I would always play and they always knew that the crowd would sing. It was amazing. Oh man, you know what I mean? Just different times. Uh -huh. I remember there was just a few records that one one of the records I put on the list, mm -hmm. that obviously, yeah, that I closed with, and another record I used to close was um, Oscar. Uh, is it a uh, Merck together? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, records. Huge, you know, Merck fan. Yeah, and Oscar, you know, all those guys and Ralph Falcon. Mm -hmm. um, that was one other record I used to play. I remember the whole crowd used to sing it. You know, it was just the lights would go on, and the you know that was the thing where the, the, you turn the lights on. That's kind of the signal everybody has to get out. Mm -hmm. But you know, they would let us play like two records, and everybody would. I would see everybody's face. Oh, it's magic, magic. <laughs> and at that time, you know, that was the best slot, man. That like back yeah. then. Yeah. The closing now things are different, you know what I mean? But the closing slot back then was like people stayed till the end, you know. Yeah. So what the closing slot, what time would that be? What time of the night that would or day be, would that we be? We would close like four or five in the morning. So mm -hmm. that would be like three to five mm -hmm. or two to four thirty, depending on, you know, how busy the night was. But for the most part, yeah, we went late. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah. I mean, so what did that do for your career kind of like what what kind of year was that? That was like what, the 90 That was mid 90s. That yeah. was like I want to say nine around 96, mm -hmm. 97. Yeah. Around 
And, and all that led to like, that was all like, that's school, that's school for me. All that, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like playing there, playing limelight, playing that save the robots. Yeah. It's after hours I used to do with uh, Kiyoki, good friend of mine. He's another one I, I, I'm so grateful for because these guys gave me the opportunity. You know what I mean? Kiyoki was the shit back then. You know yeah. what I mean? He came in New York in that world, like during the nineties when he, he was the resident at Disco 2000 at Limelight on Wednesdays. Mm -hmm. And that was like the best party back then. And he was the resident and he let me open up for him a bunch of times. And then he started this after hours called Save the Robots on Thursdays. Mm -hmm. And he made me his resident. Wow. And that that was DJ school for me because I learned so much there. Yeah. And that's where I learned long sets. Mm -hmm. Because there were times where, you know, sometimes Kiyoki wouldn't make it. And I played all night, 12 hours. Wow, 12 hours. Oh, yeah, 10 hours until they left. You know what I mean? Wow. We would stop at 3 in the morning uh -huh. and till, till they left. Sometimes <laughs> 3 in the afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's insane. And, and we're talking about an era that was on vinyl only, right? So oh, You don't understand how many crates of record I was lugging. I don't miss that shit, bro. <laughs> back, back, back problems because <laughs> lugging records through airports. Yeah. People are like, uh, how come you don't play vinyl? Like vinyl? I have twenty thousand records in the storage right here. Rock, why don't play vinyl? You know? <laughs> oh man! So I mean, <laughs> yeah. So you were like lugging that around. Were you actually taking it to the club, or were you having to store it? At the oh club? Yeah. yeah, we would. I had friends that would help me lug boxes. Like for long sets, I always for for say the robots. I always brought a lot of records because I knew I was going to get a chance to play a longer set, mm -hmm. and. Yeah, sometimes I bring like like two or three of the big boxes. Those things are heavy. It was yeah. like ninety pounds. Yeah, I mean, and and do you think like thinking about just in terms of technology? Now we're kind of talking about it a bit. Like, do you think playing off a of vinyl when you've only got those records to choose from, and there's you know you're kind of funneled by that compared to USB, you can have hundreds of thousands of tracks. Yeah, on. you have everything yeah. so much works well just life is just easier yeah yeah i can, I can play anything you know what i mean mm -hmm. i can go i can with a usb stick i can go play 24 hours if i want it's crazy it's that's nuts. amazing that's amazing but you know it's pros and cons you mm -hmm. know what i mean Cons is that you have access to all this type of music you can go anywhere yeah. cons is that you kind of just like it's too much like you don't even know what you have mm -hmm. yeah or you know it's hard it's i find it so hard to understand what a track is when i'm reading a name of it it's like it's always for me it was the color of the label or the sleeve or artwork yeah artwork 100 percent. always the artwork. I didn't do that. yeah it was always artwork yeah. yeah yeah i mean so you know when you're when, you, when you're approaching a set and you're playing somewhere like uh say the robots you, you've got the potential to either play your your set or play all night long i mean how do you approach that in terms of how you want to start off and build and tell your story and you know what you're looking for in the crowd and those types of things it depends like for me when i'm going to go into i mean for me it's always been a, my favorite to do the longer sets because mm -hmm. i can kind of tell the story and go everywhere because i like to play all kinds of stuff i don't like to just stick one specific sound yeah so I kind of like, for me, it depends. Well, at Save the Robots, it was kind of weird because there were times that I was, you know, I would play two to three hours, but, you know, if Kiyoki, if Kiyoki you know, didn't show up, you know, I was, I went straight in. But I mean, so I would just kind of start with kind of the records I had. Yeah. But that's, and then if he wasn't showing up, then I just kind of go into everything. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, it, it's a pleasure playing, playing for longer sets because it's, just, which is great because you can kind of just, 
I love playing open to close. That's like my shit. Cause see everybody walking in and the whole development of the floor till mm-hmm. they leave. You know? mm-hmm. Like I have, I have a residency that I've been doing in Montreal for decades at yeah, stereo. stereo. Yeah. Now I'm doing it at stereo bar, which is the, the, the more like kind of like the earlier room, not the after hours. Mm-hmm. And I just played last week. And I, every time I play there, I play five hours, sometimes, you know, five, five and a half. And it's just, I love it. You know, open to close, you know, all yeah. night. And I do everywhere. I just posted a set actually. Five I know. Hours. I <laughs> saw that today, actually. So, yeah, I've, I've, it's Listen on my to the set. You see the whole development. I, go, I play everything, I go everywhere. Yeah, it's on my list. It's on your SoundCloud, isn't it? So, yeah, I need yeah, to check yeah. that out, definitely. And, yeah, like you say, for me, like when I see a DJ, I love not really knowing what's going to come next rather than be like, oh, you've only got one hour of this person. So you pretty you much know, know like, what you're going to get. You think they're playing with their best for that one hour. And it's, yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of the times it happens, but you know, it's just how it is now, you know, mm. it's just like where you, you know, you start playing and like half an hour in, you're starting to get into it. You know what I mean? Like 45 minutes in, you're in it. Uh-huh. And then that's right. I could someone else is going on. <laughs> And that's it that's it I mean and how do you work with you know when you are I suppose from those residency days as well when you've when you are kind of setting the scene for someone else perhaps um you know how would you work with them what conversations would you be having with them about um where you've got to leave it for them or would you just do your thing I feel like that's like DJ 101 mm-hmm. you know what I mean that's DJ etiquette mm-hmm. where you kind of like you know, if you know what that specific person is going to play, you kind of just figure what, you know, what would be the best to complement to what he's going to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? I've always felt like that's DJ etiquette. Yeah. Like, I feel like every DJ should know that. And if you don't, then what are you doing? Then you're playing for yourself. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just like you, it's DJ etiquette. You don't want to kind of just like, it has to make sense of what's happening to the night. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like whatever that, you, you know, whoever's, you know, you're opening for, for example, is playing, you know. So for what I would do is I would just, kind of figure out what would complement what he's doing without kind of like trying to like, you know, be better here at all. You know, yeah. just basically just trying to set the night, you know what I mean? Yeah. Set it to what, you know, what the, what the peak will be, you know? Mm-hmm. So if someone's playing Afro house, for example, I would just kind of play like start like house, maybe start percussive, kind of going towards the percussiveness mm-hmm. towards like building it to when that person goes on. I don't know. I feel like that's DJ etiquette. <laughs> totally. And, you know, you 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 don't want to step on what they're going to be trying to do for themselves either. But yeah, you've got to get it to yeah. a point where, you know, the handover is, you know, it doesn't feel like as a big step change. I mean, exactly. how have you found that? Obviously, you know, you're so experienced. How have you found that when you've been on the other side of that and you were walking into a club and there are some DJs and, you know, that that etiquette, you know, does it always exist still in the in the modern day? It It does, but not all the time. I mean, you know. Not all the time, but it, it, it does. For the most part, I feel like, you know, it, you, I get it. Like from people that have that opened up for me have kind of been usually people that kind of tend to like my music and mm-hmm. which kind of makes sense. You know what I mean? But I mean, you know, I don't know. You still get every once in a while you get someone that, you know, you know, etiquette. You got to learn the etiquette. You got to like, I don't know. I, I've always like felt like getting it when, it when anything I ever got into, I always wanted to learn everything about it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I feel like. It's, you know, it's important. You know what I mean? If you're a painter, don't you want to know who the best painters are? Who's before you? Mm-hmm. You know, who's the reason why you're doing what you do? Who inspired you? You know, I want to know everything about that person. Mm-hmm. For me, it was when I started DJing. I wanted to know everything about Paradise Garage, about Chicago, about like, you know, Ron Hardy, all these guys that are like, wow. Like now I like listen to, I try to find their mixes, you know? 
Because it's just, you know, that's school 101. That's yeah. like history. Know the history of whatever it is you're doing. Uh-huh. Yeah, so absolutely. Just, like, goes, the, the reason I'm bringing that up is because, you know, you're at, you're asking about like etiquette and like and all that. Then it's just kind of know the history of, you know, if you're opening up for somebody, know what this person's about, know what they're doing, you know. It's part of it, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes you don't do that. Yeah, I mean, this you know what, what this podcast is all about. We're talking to people and just like peeling back the layers of that history and making sure that there's it's documented and people are telling their own experiences through it. We've had some amazing conversations over it. You're you're going to be episode sixty, um, so you know, wow. it's, um, we're, yeah, we've done quite a few. Um, yeah, I mean, so in terms of like where you were back in like that era of the mid nineties and then moving forward, like where, where did like the touring start coming and where did you feel like you're actually making inroads into becoming known outside of the U S or outside of New York? So basically it was okay. I'm 17. It's like early. It's like now I'm 18. Now it's like beginning of the nineties. I started playing and I just, I kind of, I got this residency with the Roxy and I just kind of like, now I'm known here in me in New York, mm-hmm. only New York. Mm-hmm. So now I'm like killing it here. I'm like, all right, this is now it's like a point where we're killing it. The Roxy's killing it. After Hours is killing it. Packed. And around 97, 98, things start shifting. Mm -hmm. I noticed. I noticed that all these producers are starting to get booked. And I saw it. I saw the shift from like, from like beginning with when we started doing the Roxy to like all of a sudden, these guys that have made big records are getting booked. And I'm like, oh shit! You know, they were DJs, they ill producers. I didn't know that. And but that's what happened. It mm-hmm. just it, it was a shift where, like, if you made a dope record, you're people want to hire you as a DJ. Yeah. yeah. Which I kind of never understood because one thing is a a, a great producer, another thing is a great DJ. Mm-hmm. They're two separate things. Mm-hmm. One thing is knowing how to rock a dancer, another thing is knowing how to rock that your equipment in that studio. You know. And uh, so I noticed the shift. So I was like, oh shit. I, I need to get I need to start making some records mm-hmm. and that's what got me into production it's so funny because I I made re- I started making records so I can keep DJing <laughs> so it's so ironic because and then I ended up loving production but I mean yeah. that's how I got into production because I was never really interested in production I was just so into like connecting with a crowd you know mm-hmm. and then it just kind of like I, I noticed that everybody you know these guys started getting booked as DJs so I was like oh shit I gotta start making some records and I, I, so I, I started kind of dabbling into that world and that's what set me off into making records i think i made my first record in in 97 mm-hmm. in uh germany i did it i met some kids from germany i went to munich i remember i stayed out in munich and i and i worked with this kid jerome actually he, yeah this kid and uh yeah i made my first record in his studio he had a great studio over there mm-hmm. and that set off my production world and that kind of started where I started dabbling. I started kind of putting together a little studio. Mm-hmm. And you know, at those times, you have to understand those times, you know, to have a studio was not cheap. <laughs> now you have a laptop in the studio. But like oh. back then, it was expensive. You know, I remember everything. My, when I built my first studio, I had one sampler that was like four grand. You know, now you, your computer, you can sample anything in your computer. Back mm-hmm. then, it was in, in a little tiny screen like this that I had to edit with a jog wheel. I don't miss that shit, bro. You know, back because now I can, you know, I have like this huge screen. I can edit and everything's so easy to edit in a sample. Mm. You know, back then I was like this on a little screen with a jog wheel. <laughs> so it's just like I remember I said it was that I had that a synthesizer, which was like almost three grand mm-hmm. and a drum machine and all this stuff was expensive, man. So it, t- it took me a while to put that together. Yeah. And 
when I finally had a like a you know decent little studio set up, I I was I just got in it, man. Yeah. And, and like, how I did you? How did you learn? Were you all self-taught? I mean, like, there was like no YouTube well, thought, really. Man. You know, and I had a few friends that that helped. That I have friends that have always that I, I call them tech support because they were just like always help me out. This one guy, Mike Michael Mandel, we used to call him Midi Mike. <laughs> <laughs> and any Midi questions, I would always be like, Mike, help me out, bro. What do I do? Because yeah. that was always have Midi situ Midi issues. Yeah. And um, I, I put it, but for, for the most part, I pretty much self-taught, man. I learned and, and, and I'm stubborn too. I'm like, I, I can't sit there and start reading manuals. So I just trial and error. Yeah. You learn through doing, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 Just, and that's kind of how like, just, you know, the wanting to do it. Mm -hmm. I feel like I learned pretty quick and, and like I had people helping me. Like, like I said, my friend, Michael Mandel, he was a big part of helping me. Yeah. Like as far as in the production, because this guy is, you know, so good at that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, then I kind of just got into that whole world and I started kind of getting little recognition and stuff. But then I had one record that set it off for me. Mm -hmm. I kind of just, because you asked about the whole, when did I get into the whole international scale? Yeah. That one record set my whole international career. It's the record I did. Mm -hmm. It's funny. I'll tell the story of the record. I did this record called Hold On To Your Love, mm -hmm. right? Vocal track in 91, I believe. Mm. And... I was on a I was on a gig in in St. Louis, and I had made this record two years prior, and I would just play it from time to time. Mm -hmm. It was an instrumental, and I met this like this kind of R&B singer, this kid Troy Dillard in, in St. Louis at some party, mm -hmm. and he's like, "Hey man, you know I'm a singer, you know I'd love to like get together with you and this and that." And it just so happened that you know like he was just like, "Hey, we're doing this little jam at after hours at our house if you want to come through." And I never do that back then. You know, I was just like I was very selective where I went. I was just like, "All right." Fuck it, I'll go. I'll go hang out. I've never been here. This I had my first time over there, mm -hmm. and I met him. And he was at the party, and and and, and he was just singing like freestyling. And I was like, oh shit, this guy can sing. Mm -hmm. And somehow I was just like, yo, I played him that one of the instrumentals that I had at that time. I used to walk around with a little DAT machine, a yeah. digital audio tape, yeah. just before CDs, mm -hmm. and so I would record stuff on the road and whatever, but to sample. So I was like, I had my little dat man with me. And I was like, hey, you know, why don't we just record a scratch? And and then we'll like somehow figure it out and record it proper. Mm -hmm. And he's just like, all right. So I remember I had my little dat machine. We played it on on a, on a on a tape from in. We were in some living room and he recorded and he, I plugged in my headphones into the mic jack of the dat. Uh-huh. Yeah. Thing basically through my headphones. Uh-huh. And that's how Hold On To Your Love happened. That, no that, way. He wrote that song that morning. It was like four in the morning, five in the morning. Yeah. He wrote that. He wrote the lyrics to that song that, that morning. And then I we I recorded it like that. Then I, came, I went back to New York. I put it in the studio and like I put it together. And it sounded cool. I mean, it was obviously it sounded like shitty because he recorded through a mic, through a headphone. <laughs> For some reason, it just it had this like weird quality. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. people, you, people try to emulate that sound now. You know what I mean? They think, yo, what plugin did you run that through? I'm like, plug it. <laughs> we didn't have any plugins. This was like some headphone. It sounded like I thought it sounded like shit at the time. Yeah. And it's just this weird quality of like people put effects on shit now to make it sound like that. It's it's so funny. <laughs> and so it was just kind of like so then I sat on that record and I would play it and I noticed the crowd it would it would it would, it would respond well. Mm. And I sat on that record for like years, I remember, and I was just like, I didn't know what to do with it. I was like, I don't know if I'm gonna put it out. And I remember this other DJ at the time, Onions. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. He, he was like, yo, bro, I love that record, man. Can we put it out? And I was like, eh, no, I don't know what I'm going to do with it. And he's just like, oh, he really wanted that record. And I was like, all right, let's do it. Let's put it out. And um, basically, you know, he's like, let's do a remix of the track. So, you know, for, for a package deal. So we did a remix of the track. And he put the record on his label. He put the record out, though, you know, as a collaboration when <laughs> it really wasn't. But he basically, you know, that record went on. It's so ironic because that record went on to establish my career. Yeah, yeah. And you've been sat on it for so long. Man, yeah. That record, I got two world tours off that record. <laughs> Literally. It's like this, like through Europe and through the West Coast. Uh-huh. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Taking that plunge for, you know, spotting that angle of being like, right, I need to produce my own stuff and then taking that plunge to do it and then that opening the next door to your career. That's like, you know, that's great, isn't it? Yeah, I'm happy I did because, you know, I feel like, you know, that was the universe kind of being like, okay, this is where this is next, you know? Yeah. I always embrace change and embrace things because I feel like, you know, it's something new, you know? So mm-hmm. it's just like, that's why with, with music, I, I look, that's kind of like my perspective. I, that's why I just like, I like to go everywhere. Sometimes people are like, yo, why you make so many different sounds? It confuses people. I'm like, man, I love all types of music. So I get bored if I have to sit here and just make all tribal or Afro records. Yeah, I want to make some dark shit. I want to make some techno. I want to make vocal stuff. You know, mm-hmm. I like mm-hmm. it all. You know, so. Yeah, and you're always working as well. Like you know, it's there's oh, loads man, of like I work out. <laughs> I mean, I'm in there. I mean, because that's who I am. You know, it's part of my life, and and it makes me happy. You know what I mean? Like for me, like people are like, yo, why don't you take a vacation? Like I'll I'll go out and take a vacation, but when I'm laying on the beach, I'm like, fuck, man, I got this idea, man. I wish I was a studio and laid down. <laughs> Uh, yeah I you find it tough to I can imagine you find it tough to sit still and quiet your mind and just be like no you're always thinking it's a curse and a blessing you know what I mean <laughs> it really is because it's just yeah. like it's always on my mind and it's 
like, you know, it, it's great because, I, you know, I'm creative and I'm, you know, doing all this cool stuff. But then it's just like, first, when I'm sitting there watching a movie with somebody and I'm like, stop that, pause that, rewind it, you know? <laughs> and they're like, what the fuck? Can we just watch the movie here? Why does everything have to be about music? <laughs> I'm like trying to sample stuff. I'm trying to like, you know, Shazam stuff. Amazing. And, you know, so obviously you had the you had the big track. You've been sat on it for ages. And then in 2001, you know, you um, started up May Recordings, your own label. Um, what was the kind of feeling behind that? Why, why was that time right then? What did you want to achieve with it? And, you know, what was behind the name and all that type of stuff and the vibe you're trying to imprint? Yeah, the whole objective with the label for me, it was always... It was always because I wanted I wanted a home for my music because I make so much music. You know what I mean? So it's just like I wanted somewhere where I could just put out anything I wanted and I wouldn't have to hear anything from anybody like, oh, that's not going to fit. That's not going to sell. None of that shit. It was just kind of like I wanted a home for it, Mm -hmm. for everything that I wanted to put out. So, I mean, in retrospect, maybe if I had approached the label (laughs) a little differently, it'd probably be a bigger brand. But for me, it was always kind of like my you know home for my music it wasn't like i wanted to make blow up this brand and yeah huge you know that mm-hmm. was never the objective the objective was a home for my music yeah. which is why you know 90 percent of the releases are mine on there you know mm-hmm. what i mean mm-hmm. so it was just like so that was the, the whole concept of, of the label was somewhere i can just showcase all my music and I had a daughter, my my daughter in 1999, Maya, mm-hmm. which I named the label after her because I've always been fascinated with Mayan culture, and I was thought it was so cool, and I named it after her. So Maya Records comes from her. People are like, oh, you know, you know, I mean, obviously the the you know the Mayan culture is amazing, mm-hmm. but I mean, it's I, I I it was to like you know commemorate her. I just had had my you know my my first kid, you know. Oh man, that's beautiful. I love that. Yeah, we have a good relationship. She she lives here in Brooklyn as well. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, so that create you say a lot of the output is you know your own stuff in terms of your creative process. Where is your studio now? I mean, where are you right now? How close is your studio to your home? Is that a good or bad thing at being close or further away or, or what? My studio is across the street, <laughs> <laughs> literally, like. Or like 50 feet from my 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 building uh-huh. i live in this amazing space this this building is over 100 years old it's mm-hmm. all musicians and artists in this building. it's like a, a little like it's like this old factory building that's all like create is pretty much living in here yeah which is why i'm here it's it's like i said it's the the universe put me here mm-hmm. which is from for me to just keep growing because ever since i've been here i've just kept growing because it's just since i've moved here it's just my life has just changed for the better. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, just just being here, my boy next door, this guy Tariq Khan, he's an insane producer, mm-hmm. works with like, The Roots, with like all these amazing people. Mm-hmm. And all these people since I've been living here have been pivotal for me just to move forward on the whole production. And because since I've been here, I've stepped up my studio is, you know, and I've, I've stuff that I've learned from them and, and working with these amazing producers and engineers that, work with all these big greats yeah. you know that live here and like work here is has been you know pivotal for me amazing yeah so like yeah i live in this this loft space and my studio is across the street in this other building that's just all musicians mm-hmm. amazing so yeah. i have access to so many musicians which is like for me it's invaluable you know yeah and i mean that's great and so when you're thinking about 
collaborating or you need someone to do something live for you or a vocalist or something like that you know how do you work in the studio do you find it a solo affair for your own good or do you like to collaborate do you want to do it virtually do you want to get people live in the studio how does that work both both i mean i i love to collaborate because collaborating you just bring something else to the table it's two different minds two different perspectives which is always is, is great mm-hmm. you know what i mean so i love collaborating and but i also love solo i mean i love working alone you know what i mean i like to kind of because i'm I, I work in a specific way where it's like efficiently i like to work efficient you know what i mean so i just kind of like to keep moving i don't like to get stuck on certain things and you know that that can play a you know that can if you're collaborating with somebody that can kind of you know it depends on who you know because i work with harry romero and he's like we're like beasts in there yeah. like we get in the studio you know we i'll go to his house and it's, he has a studio at home and you know, I'll leave there in like one day. We've made three tracks front <laughs> to back, mixed and everything. Because <laughs> you know his, his his workflow is like mine. We we work yeah. really efficient. Yeah. And um, but I love to work with musicians. You know what I mean? Because that's so inspiring. You know, these are different. And like usually, I work with a lot of like jazz musicians and neo soul musicians, which is great because it's it's really inspiring what they're bringing, what their perspective mm-hmm. is on what I'm doing. You know? Yeah. So I. It, I love all like I love I love that and since I've been here I've been able to work with a lot of musicians which has been a blessing yeah because it's inspiring what some of these people are so talented man yeah a different perspective like you say and you know so you know you work efficiently uh, we have we have uh, done an interview with Harry as well on this podcast as well and I get that get that sense that uh, yeah he was exactly yeah, the same a beast in the studio. absolute beast yeah. and um, you know how do you know when something is finished you know do you have a problem with um stopping stuff and being like that's done do you like to road test stuff and then take it back and tweak it like how does i road test it i uh-huh. road test mix it mainly on my mix downs you know where i like I'll, I'll i'll mix it and then i'll take it out and road test and be like oh maybe you know bring the vocal up a couple of db stuff like that you know mm-hmm. bass whatever fine-tune the bass but for the most part, I feel like it has to do with confidence, man, mm-hmm. is knowing that, you know, this shit sounds good. You know what I mean? And yeah. I believe it sounds good and it's done. You know what I mean? That's kind of how I feel. Yeah. Like, I feel like it has a lot to do with that because, you know, I'm, it's like an, it's like an artist, like no work's ever done, but it's con- you're confident enough to know that it's good. And it's, you know, and it, it's it's worthy of being done, you know, mm-hmm. obviously you, you want to make a few little changes to it because I'm always constantly making little changes and stuff. But it's knowing that, you know, it sounds good and it's and it's ready. You know, that's has to do, I feel, with confidence. Yeah. Yeah. And is there ever um like a disappointing bit where you where you absolutely are confident in something and then it just hasn't worked for whatever reason? Oh yeah, yeah. Of yeah. course it's happened. You know, it's happened. And and it's usually it's happened with a mix. Mm-hmm. Like if I've moved to studios or where I just kind of just get learning a, a you know, because every room is different. And like learning learning the room, I've learned where I've done mixes where I'm like, ooh, this could be so much better. And it's just like that usually happens to me when I'm and I'm just learning a, a, a new room that I've just moved in or I've just bought new monitors and everything takes getting used to. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So it's just like for me, yeah, that's been times where I've heard, like, oh, man, that bass sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I need to, I need to re, re, uh, you know, revisit that. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, but that's kind of been because of, you know, like I moved my studio and like. Mm. Like I said, and I wasn't used to the room and I thought the mix sounded right. But, you know, when I took it and played it out, I'm like, Ugh. Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, so what would you say um, if someone asked you, well, I'm going to ask you um, to describe like your sound, um, like encapsulate it, not necessarily in like, you know, pigeonholed in like, you know, tribal house or, you know, tech house or whatever. You know, if you like what's most personal to you in terms of how, what vibe and the soul that you're looking to put into your sound, well, how would you describe it? It's always been like the deeper stuff, mm-hmm. the, like the really kind of like not, not so much melodic, but just more psychedelic you know like very delayed effect you know i love reggae dub music uh-huh, huge yeah. fan of dub because I, i've always loved the, you know that whole tape delayed dub vibe i've always thought it was so cool mm-hmm. so i mean that's i you know i incorporate that shit in all of my music you know so it's so i, I would i would say it's latin influence darker techno then it's that's I can't say because it's just so many types of music i love and so many types of music i make mm-hmm. I make all types of stuff. Like just for example, this week I made two vocal tracks. I made a darker techno track, you know, I, I mean, and then I made like like this other Afro track, you know yeah. what I mean? So it's kind of like, I love all that. So mm-hmm. whatever I, I go, when I'm in the studio and I, you know, whatever I'm feeling, and then I do Latin stuff too. You know what I mean? I do, I love making a lot of like Latin influence stuff. Like straight up horns and everything. Yeah. Uh, so I did read somewhere that you were thinking about maybe an album for 2024. Is that... Oh yeah, agenda? I've been working on that for a while. Yeah, <laughs> we got something in the process doing an album for uh, Damien Lazarus for Clo- Crosstown Rebels. Uh-huh. I mean, I love Damien. I love the stuff that I've been. I, I I sent him like usually the stuff I put out on Crosstown is more kind of reggae dubby type of stuff. So this album is gonna be across the board all everything like that I love. You know what I mean? For I me, mean, and even for, like slower stuff like that more like you know 120 BPMs mm-hmm. kind of. I'm experimenting on this, just going everywhere, everything I love. And yeah, super excited for this album. I've been working on it for a while. I'm still working on it. <laughs> do you, when you say a while, I mean, do you think 2024 is ambitious when you're saying it like that? No, no, it, it's done. I'm, 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 I'm there. I'm there, but I'm just finalizing. It's it's more so what tracks that we got, you know, we're going to go with. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. I have so much stuff, man. I just, like, you know, I work so much. You know what I mean? I'm in the studio constantly. You know, it's crazy. You know, sometimes I'm like, damn. I make, you know, like nine tracks in a week, 10 tracks in a week. You know, it's just like. That's insane. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, I, it's just, it, it's what I enjoy doing. Mm. And, and it, it, this is what I want to do. I wake up and I work. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't really see it like work. I'm seeing like, you know, I'm, I'm having, I'm in there having fun, you know. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah. So my work is, you know, man, I, I have like, I have a drive with over a hundred unreleased tracks. <laughs> And I have to figure out what I'm going to do, <laughs> like place thing I'm out of my label and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And those unreleased ones, you know, are those ones that when you're playing out, you're playing the majority of your own stuff. Yeah, I played some, uh-huh. some of them, yeah. I did actually, I did a, an all an all unreleased set on on Mixmag Live once. And it's just all, I mean, just, I did a set of all my unreleased music at the time. And what was the reaction like? Were people clamoring for stuff great. on the back of that? Yeah. Yeah, it was cool because it was just some edits I've done, some bootlegs mm-hmm. and a bunch of unreleased stuff. Yeah, it was cool. I should do that more often. <laughs> well, you, you got, you got the, you got the selection to do it by the sound. I had the selection very much, <laughs> you know, before I put them out. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, so what else have you got kind of going on like right now? What are you excited about? Are you looking, is 2023 over for you? Are you forward to the next next year have you got any tours planned are, you know are you going to ibiza or anything like that yeah i'm excited for what the future brings i mean this album i'm excited for mm-hmm. 
and just really cool stuff happening to, like you know some really solid releases on maya some really good stuff coming out some collaborations that i've done mm -hmm. setting off the year i'm doing uh i'm doing uh goa india for new year's oh, i'm wow. looking forward to that. have you been there before oh my first time in india definitely oh, my bucket wow. list of uh, yeah. countries to and so i'm really excited about that um then we're, do, we're doing South America for January. I do it. I got a. I got finally finally got my cover for a Mix Mag Brazil. Oh, my first cover! Like congratulations. <laughs> so we're doing like we're, we're doing like a tour to set that off for January in Brazil and South America. Yeah, and obviously uh, I'm doing a uh, Tulum. Yeah. Uh, Day zero. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. a lot of good stuff. Usually January, February has always kind of been more South America for me. Yeah. That's the best time over there. Yeah. So I usually work a lot during over there. And in the summers, Europe for sure. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. We got, we got a busy schedule coming up. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to everything. And just, you know, pushing the label forward to where where I just I have some people now handling the label because it's just, just too much. You know what I mean? With my yeah. schedule and yeah. I had a, my, a good friend of mine, he handled all the label stuff and you know, now that I was doing it myself, it kind of wasn't really getting handled the way it should. So now he's back at it and we're, you know, we're moving full, full, full steam. Yeah. I mean, you're a busy guy, right? So, and, and like, look, you're, you're always looking forward. You're always pushing the set, your sound forward as well. Uh, you know, when you're, yeah. when you're on tour and you go to certain places, you know, you mentioned Goa, Bucket List, you've not been there before. Are you always looking for new places that you've never to new experiences and new places oh, to yeah. play or do you like to go back and be like i love playing in this one particular place as well i'm happy to always go back there i'm always excited for somewhere i've never been because i don't know what to expect you know what i mean and india is like you know amazing country yeah, it's yeah. such cool so and i've heard so i mean you know go i heard is beautiful i've never been over there so like I, I, all my friends that have been there like, oh you're gonna love it have fun don't drink the water <laughs> <laughs> yeah no don't drink the water <laughs> <laughs> So I'm, you know, I'm excited. And I just, I love traveling and like mm -hmm. learning new cultures. So that's always been a big bonus of like traveling abroad because mm -hmm. I've gotten able to do that, try the foods and, you know, but uh, yeah, I'm excited, man. I'm excited to, to go over there, you know, and it's New Year's. So it's, it's a, you know, it's a special, special night to play over there. It's anywhere, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Do you, so what you, so when you're playing a gig like that, um, do you know, what you're gonna play it like? If you're playing over midnight, like what tunes you're gonna drop in there, anything like that? Anything in the back of your yet. mind? No, I mean, like, I'm starting to think about it. I, I know, I feel like I like to play what I feel like is appropriate for where I'm at. Mm -hmm. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like setting wise, I feel like if I'm playing on a beach, I want to play a little bit more organic stuff. You know what I mean? Which makes sense. You know? Yeah, yeah. So it's just, uh, but I don't know. I, I, I'm definitely gonna, you know, I'm gonna just do me. But I mean, for sure. I, I feel like I'm going to go a little bit more percussive and stuff out here because it makes sense, you know? Mm -hmm. If I'm playing, say, on, on this beach, it's just like, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that'd be, that'd be stunning. So, I mean, we're talking about tunes and it's kind of the time in the interview to talk about the, your, yeah. your tunes and track selections for our House Culture Perfect playlist, which is, which is on Spotify. And yeah, we've been doing this since the first episode. Every single guest has submitted five tracks uh, based on different themes for this playlist. So, you know, it's over... 30 hours long now i think to be honest with you and there's uh, some well, congratulations man you guys episode 60 damn. i know I, I i can't believe it either to be honest when we started off the episode numbers and we did zero zero one i was like why are we why don't we just put zero one it's being massively ambitious <laughs> but yeah we're getting there so it's it's, it's good fun and yeah and obviously really you're cool part of that now. Yeah. i think it's really cool what you guys are doing because you're basically you know you're educating the masses because it's just like 
you know, in this business that's grown so much, you know, it's, I feel like it's really important to know the roots of it, you know, the people that were there before you. So I, I you know, I commend you guys on that. Cool. Thank you. No, I really appreciate that. And that's it. Yeah, that's exactly what we're all about, to be honest with you. It's just all about us having this passion for this scene and, and watching it grow and looking back, you know, I've got my own experience through the scene and like the other people that we do this house culture thing with, they've got their own experiences and we're all completely different. And we're all so interested in like how each one has like got to where we are now. It's um yeah. And, you know, speaking to other people about their journeys is always super interesting um but yeah so in terms of the spotify playlist the tracks we always start off with a catalyst track a track that kind of got you into uh and dance they, music I mean, electronic that was a music tough question for me because <laughs> there was so many but this one uh, you know there's like records that just you know whenever i walk into the studio always are in the back of my head mm-hmm. which is like the one i wrote which is the blake baxter yeah when we used to play in that record i still love that record and it's just there's certain records like that, Little Louis, French Kiss. These records are just like timeless, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. It was so ahead of their time, you know? Yeah, so Blake Baxter, when we used to play, I mean, yeah, you can yeah. see, and like you say, Little Louis as well, you can still play these out now and you can still hear them out oh, yeah. now and they still sound fantastic. I mean... AMS, I mean, Kevin Saunderson, those guys, look what they've done throughout that label is amazing. I mean, techno is just... Detroit techno is finest. Yeah. So, I mean, where where were you when you first heard that? And what was your reaction? To Man, that? I, I remember I was I was at this club called The Saint. So The Saint is the one with the dome, in right? The sphere. Yeah. It was in the sphere. Uh-huh. So it's like, it looked like you're in like a planetarium oh, when you walked in. And it was just like, it was... What a, what a club! Man. I've just seen photos of it. It looks sensational. Yeah, yeah. yeah. this was in the eighties. God, I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> this is in the like late. This is in the late eighties. Yeah, uh-huh. and I remember like I used to go there. It was like there was this gay club because mm-hmm. at that time the best clubs in New York were the the, the gay scene. Yeah, and I, I remember I used to go there and I heard that record and it was just the baseline was just everything to me mm-hmm. when I first heard it. And I was just like, oh, my God, what is this? Mm-hmm. And I remember just going crazy. He played it as a promo. I hadn't come out. And I was going crazy. You know, things are a lot different. You know, things back then, try to find the record that a DJ played. Good luck. You <laughs> Absolutely. Know, like, you know, the one that goes ding, 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 ding. <laughs> now it's just Shazam, boom. You know, it, you know it's just yeah. everything out there on some podcast. Mm-hmm. Even trying to hear it on someone's mixes was impossible. How was I going to do that? Yeah. Yeah. I remember, you know, I heard it and I was just like, and then I, he played it like a bunch of times when I, when I, I forgot who was DJing. Mm-hmm. It could have been David Morales, if I'm not mistaken. No way. <laughs> yeah, because David was like, he used to play some really yeah. cool stuff back then. Mm-hmm. I used to do the Red Zone. I think he used to play it too. Mm-hmm. The Red Zone in New York, that was, yep. oh man, that was school for me too. Yeah. And, David Morales used to kill that room. Oh, wow. I mean, we've spoken to David Morales on this on this podcast wow. as well. I, I, I say we've spoken to him. I just asked him one question, and I think he spoke for an hour. It was a, it was a, it was absolutely brilliant. <laughs> Bro, he was just like that was cool for me. I remember I used to go to the Red Zone all the time, and that was his home. Uh huh. And he he would experiment there. He would just play just really trippy. It's just it's so good, man. Yeah. Inspiring. Yeah. Completely. So. Uh, the next um, choice is the floor filler, um, and yeah, this is the one that I'm sure everyone knows from yourself. From yeah, for me, this is this one. You know, this was like I think my biggest record in the last decade. Mm-hmm. Like you know, 
where I was surprised that the people responded so well to it because it's kind of like you know it's more of a Latin you know you kind of it's it's a Latin, it's a Latin sample it's a salsa sample so it's kind of like it's not really not everybody's into salsa music yeah. you know so it's just I was surprised how big because this record ended up like I've heard like techno guys play it house guys play it Afro guys everybody played it yeah and it was my record that just worked so whenever yeah. I feel like like I I need a little a little energy burst I just drop it and it always works the breakdown is just it, it it just works for me like the energy shifts it's always just like just a good good energy record for me yeah yeah and it's called uh dear de Aya. am i mangling that yeah. or is that uh <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 it's uh feature hector laveau that's another thing hector laveau is like one of the legendary salsa singers yeah. from the seven and my mom used to listen to that record when <laughs> when we was she was cleaning the house and like you know in the 80s wow and I sampled him from that. Yeah, and, which yeah. Is genius because I remember I was just like, "There's no way I'm going to clear this sample because this is from Fania, who owns the rights to the." And I remember, I, I, I remember, you know, it's like, "How am I going to release this record?" I was just like, "I, I can't release it" because I contacted them and they wanted all this crazy money to license it. Yeah. And I was just remember thinking, like, "Damn, I guess I'm just going to be playing it." And then the late Eric Murillo, rest in peace, mm-hmm. it's that brother, him. He heard it. He's like, Joe, this record is the shit. Well, I'm putting this out. I'm like, well, we have to license it funny. You know, for him, that was like, yeah. <laughs> 10 G's here, no problem. <laughs> you know what I mean? And he licensed it. And we were able to put it out on his label, Sondos. It's Sondos, yeah. And it's great because I got to have my name. That was like my my goal was to have my name next to his. Mm-hmm. For my to show that to my mom and she was so happy. Oh, that's so good. That's so cool. Amazing. So uh, a sunsetter, um, you're talking about like obviously playing on a beach and thinking about thinking forward to that um, time in India that you're going to have. What have you chosen for your sunsetter? Yeah, thanks. Bro. No, I haven't even like uh, thought about it, but like this for me, a sunset song has to be something beautiful. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Something beautiful, the motion. That's why I, cho- I, I chose the because the, Damaz, this Brazilian producer that's kind of killing it right now. Mm-hmm. I'm loving what he's doing, and that's one of my favorite remixes he's done. Mm-hmm. So that's I've played that record plenty, plenty of sunsets before. Yeah, so it's Zika Veloso. That's a Brazilian artist, yeah, and, and he remixed it. And he did like this great like remix of it. Yeah, I've been really following his stuff and really vibing on what he's doing. Cool, it's a great choice. Um, okay, okay, so a tearjerker. Okay. These Anything are the mad choices that we get, but sometimes people go completely left field. Some people choose something from like dance music or whatever. What you've chosen the uh, Ananda project, Cascades of Color, that yeah, to ourselves. Sacred man, it brings back memories for me, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just a beautiful record. The vocal is just amazing, like really touching. And Joe Clausel's remix is beautiful, yeah. beautiful. So it's just one of those records that, for me, it, it makes me emotional. So that's why I chose that to, as a tearjerker. Makes me jerk a few tears. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, do you, are you a fan of playing it out or anything like that, or is it? Um, oh, I've played know. it out a bunch of times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I played that record out a bunch of times. Yeah, it's like it's one of those things, you know. Like I feel like every record, every track, every song has a time and a place where it shines. You know what I mean? Because it could like shine in one place and annihilate a dance floor on another or just clear a floor on another one. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So every record has this time where it'll shine. A record like that will shine a sunrise for the right crowd. You know, everybody's feeling amazing and yeah. something like that, it'd be really special. 
But then, you know, you played at the wrong time. People be like, what is this? You know, it sucks, you know. Well, I mean, and that's the, you know, the start of a decent DJ, you know, understanding which yeah, moment when. When to, when to play what and what to play. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. DJing 101. <laughs> cool. All right. So last tune, um, you refer, you alluded to this tune um, with your residency at yeah, Together. That was a hard one for me too, because it's just so many that I used to close with that I love. Yeah. But this one. One of them, I, I did an edit, and I, I put the original version on this one because it's Spotify. Yeah, because I did an edit of it. That was the one I used to play, but it's not on Spotify. So I, that's why I was like, "Man, what do I do?" So I'm like, "Let me just throw the original." Uh -huh. I did an edit of, like from like the middle on, mm -hmm. and it's just that was that record just killed, uh -huh. and it was just, like the crowd would sing it. It's just magic. Yeah, love committee yeah. just as long as I got you, and that yeah, I mean I. You know, a lot of my journey through house music, dance music is hearing something that sampled that first and then going yeah, back oh, yeah. and discovering yeah. the original. And that was Seamus Hadji, um, Big Bang Theory did God's Child. Yeah, and that's okay. yeah, always for that's me awesome. the, God, the God's <laughs> Child one. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. I love it. I love all the stuff he used to do, man. Mm -hmm. Some of them. Yeah. But uh, no, the original, when you go back and you discover those originals and you're like, holy shit, these are absolutely amazing. Yeah, that's where that comes from. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Everything comes from something, you know what I mean? Even if it's an inspiration, yeah. even if it's an original, it comes from someone like thinking of something that they loved and, and you know, that inspiring that, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So when you were like, had that residency and you were playing these tunes, was there an expectation that you would play this one or that one oh, yeah. or whatever? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, people knew these are the records that I played towards the end. You know, yeah. like it was that one. It was uh, uh, together by Merck. You know, Merck Brothers. That was like a just specific. Sometimes Reach for Me by Merck. Yeah, you know the records that people like. I would play at the end, and people knew. Oh, we would sing them. It's so nice. Well, I love that. It's amazing. Um, right. I mean, yeah. that's the end. We've got one more question. We always have our final question, which is um, we are house culture. We've kind of talked about why we exist and what we're doing for the scene and trying to educate people and peel back those layers of, you know, uh, the history of it all. Like for you, what does house culture mean? Man, it's it's for me, it's just happiness. It's It's who I am. It's what I've been able to do. I mean, you know, it's what my life has been. You know what I mean? I can honestly say that my life has been this my whole life you know what i mean and i feel so grateful so much gratitude that you know i can just you know and all the friends that i've met along the way doing this you know like promoters that i've worked with that were like family now you know what i mean it's so i, I feel you know it's 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 everything to me you know what i mean yeah it, it really is i mean you know as you see my life is i'm in it you know what I, mean? I wake up i'm in the studio every day <laughs> weekends i'm out of town so i'm in it you know what i mean so it's everything to me man it, i feel very grateful that I, I can still be here doing it you know and i'll do it till i can't do it anymore let's end there that's a brilliant thought to end on thank you so much it's been great to chat to you thank you so much for having me man it's really nice chatting with you bro cheers brother house culture Now that was a real nice chat, wasn't it? I hope you all learned something from that. I know I certainly did. So I loved hearing that story about how it was someone else's obsession with his sister that set Joski on his journey through dance music. I also want to thank him for gracing our 60th episode and for the kind words he had to say about what we're doing on the podcast. Thanks, Joski. 
Now, dear listener, if you want to show your support for the podcast as well and get directly involved in what we do, you can come and attend our very first House Culture event happening in February 2024. It's called The Social. It's happening in South London. DJs include myself and Defected and Glitterbox star Katie Goodman, and you can buy tickets from the links pinned on our Instagram page. All proceeds will go to pushing the podcast forward in 2024 and beyond, so please show your support and come and party with House Culture. Some tunes you might hear on the night can be found in amongst our House Culture Perfect playlist on Spotify, that curated collection of tracks chosen by our previous podcast guests. Just search for House Culture Perfect playlist, stick it on shuffle and pump up that volume. Whilst you're on Spotify, you can also now drop us a comment in the Q&A section under the episode description, or if you're on Apple, you can always leave us a review. Feedback is the lifeblood of this show. It makes what we do worthwhile. Share your positive thoughts, we'll shout you out in a future episode. That special shout out this time goes to Darren Williams, who after listening to our chat with Todd Terry, said that it was a fantastic episode, and that he loved listening to an absolute hero of his. Thank you, Darren. I think Todd is a hero to us all, right? Or maybe just a god. On that somewhat heavenly note, I'd like to say thanks once again for all of your support across this fourth season of the House Culture Podcast. We will be back with season five in 2024. But in the meantime, you can get your fix for all things house from our Instagram at HouseCultureNet or by following the hashtag TrueHouseCulture. Don't forget that you can also reach out to me directly on Instagram at DJ Matt Rouse. Thanks for listening. Rave safe. See you in 2024. House Culture. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.